Support for Talking Heart on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at qcbt.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Alma Gall, a feature writer for the Quad City Times about the late sculptor, Beverly Pepper. Thanks for talking today, Alma. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, you wrote a series of interesting articles back in February about the artist Beverly Pepper. And since summer weather has finally arrived and the museums are reopening, I thought this would be a good time to talk about her work and where people can view them. Her monumental-sized sculptures are located in some of the most important art museums in the world, but we have some of her artwork right here. What were the circumstances behind Beverly Pepper coming to our community, and when was she here? Lois Jekyllin was the director of the Visiting Artists series in the 1980s, and uh, Lois was very dedicated to art. I mean, she loved art, and she she felt that everyone should have art in their life. And if they, because, and if you did not, then, then you, there was something missing. And so she, uh, in this, in this, uh, as a visiting artist series, of course, you bring artists from outside the community into your community and they, they do whatever it is they do. They perform, they, in Beverly's case, they sculpt, but what, Lois was really looking for was how to make the creation of art, as she told me, more real, more accessible, and seeming to be a part of what we do every day. And so she started looking through uh, long lists of artists' names and what they did, and Beverly Peppers uh, stood out to her. And she thought, wow, that would be great uh, to get her in our community. So uh, Lois is is pretty gutsy woman. She wrote uh, Beverly a letter, and through a set of circumstances, Beverly answered the letter. And then Lois was like, "Okay, I've got Beverly now." At this point, she had not talked to any foundry. She had not talked to Dieter, but she had a pretty good idea that she could get what she wanted. And so uh, then she made those. Um, those contacts and and then it went from there. But but basically it was Lois Jekyllin as director of visiting artists who had the idea that Beverly uh, could come here and make art with people in the community. Hmm. I I now know the visiting artist series is part of Quad City Arts, but I understand at that point it was run by Deer and Company, and Beverly was. I believe the first visual artist to come and, you know, and a company like, like, like Deer and Company was really essential since she was making such monumental sized work. Uh, She needed their collaboration and their, and their draftsmen and engineers uh, to pull this off. Where did she create her sculptures? Uh, well, first, I just want to say visiting artists was its uh, was a self standing uh, project. It had really nothing to do with dealing company, but they uh, were going to help with the um, 
with the project. And so uh, the John Deere foundry in Silvis, which is not any longer a foundry, not any longer associated with Deere, but that is that is where uh, they made the sculptures. And in the beginning, Lois just had the idea that they would make one. I mean, she wasn't <laughs> looking at a whole bunch of sculptures. She thought, you know, we do one, uh, involve people, that would be great. But um, it really uh, kind of snowballed once people started talking about it. And, and, and Lois told me that by the time Beverly left, they had made like uh, 20 sculptures. Now, I don't know that they were all you know, they were all not that huge size. She made tabletop sculptures too. Uh, so I, I don't know really all the different sizes, but yeah, John Deere Foundry Silvis. Hmm. How many sculptures remain here in the Quad Cities uh, and where are they located? So we know of at least four and uh, located in different places. Uh, the biggest one, uh, Trapezium, uh, is is what Beverly called it. Uh, people who see it often call it the tuning fork because it kind of looks like that with these two trapezoidal shapes sort of next to each other. Um, that was that's the biggest, the tallest. Um, that was originally uh, installed in front of uh, uh, what was the Davenport Art Gallery uh, on. Uh, 12th Street in Davenport, 12th and Division. And then uh, in the somewhere around 2001, when the Putnam was uh, building its IMAX theater, uh, they needed the, the space where that sculpture was to be their new uh, drive through for a different entrance. So then it was talked about moving it. And also at that time, going on at the same time, the art gallery people were already thinking of moving uh, to a new location, which has now become the Figgy Art Museum. And so they really wanted a new place for this sculpture. And Dee Bremer, who was at that time, uh, she's very interested in art, uh, is now uh, uh, serves with uh, the Figgy uh, group. But she uh, was the public works director and, and she said, well, let's put it at the public works department. Um, there's a big space for it, a big lawn, and this large kind of sculpture uh, really needs a big space. To So that is where it is. That's where it remains today. So people can see it by driving up Brady Street and turning uh, right on 46th Street in Davenport and just keep driving and eventually look to your left at Public Works. And as they say, you can't miss it because... It's a great big sculpture. <laughs> you, you really can't miss it. I drove by yeah. the other day. And and eventually, you know, when 46th Street is extended, I, I'm sure they will extend it probably over to Eastern Avenue at some point. It'll People will see it more often. Uh, right now, there isn't that temptation to drive down, down that portion of the street because it dead ends. But it, it's a very nice park-like setting. And you need a big space for a sculpture of that size. Yes, um, yes, that's right. And whenever somebody says to Dee Bremer, why don't we put it somewhere where more people can see it? That is exactly what she says. I mean, some more people will see it eventually. And, uh, and plus, moving it would be a big expense, you know, do something else with that money, buy another piece of art and leave mm -hmm. a trapezium where it is. 
So mm-hmm. that's the biggest one. Then this, like the second biggest one would be, um, it's titled Spirit of Place. Uh, the people who helped make it at the uh, John Dealey Foundry, they, it was originally displayed outside of the foundry and they called it uh, the wedge. Because again, that's kind of what it looks like. There's a wedge. And uh, so uh, again, when the foundry operations closed down, they wanted a deer, wanted it to go to a good place. And so it was donated. And I, I can't remember now if it was donated to the city of Moline or to the entity that runs what is now Tax Slayer Center. But it was donated to... Uh, and put on the grounds of what was originally opened as the mark of the Quad Cities in 1993, and also significantly on the land where John Deere's first uh, manufacturing plant was in the Quad Cities, well, in Moline. And he, uh, the, the company donated the land for that civic center, and then they donated this sculpture uh, to to go on the land as a celebratory thing for the opening. And how perfect that since the John Deere foundry workers made it that it's now located on the exact spot where John Deere had his first had his first factory and, it, and it's also a beautiful setting it's close by the river it's it's kind of partway between the tax layer center and the and the hotel the Radisson hotel that's right next right next door and um, and it's worth walking around. There's a nice plaque there that that talks about uh, Beverly Pepper when she created it. Um, it, it. It is wedge shaped, but there's this conical base, and and then there's a connecting portion with an open circle, and then and then your eye kind of naturally moves upwards towards the wedge, which extends towards the sky. And you know, one characteristic of her of her work is that it's, even though it's, it's massive, it's large, it's made of these heavy materials, it appears light. And that one certainly does. And those, those are the two largest. There are s- several smaller ones. Where are they located? Well, the, and then another one, and I did not go look at this for the uh, article because I kind of ran out of time. And Carolyn, you may be better uh, to talk about this, but a, a, a piece titled Pythias presence is in the figgy and i figgy art museum and i believe i it's at the top of some stairs but if you went to the figgy and looked at it maybe you can better say where people can find that one well the figgy is just reopening this week um yeah on june 9th it's it's um it's just under 10 feet tall i believe and i i think it's now in the second floor orientation space it's been moved to an exhibit that's celebrating the the centennial of women having the right to vote, which is, you know, which is really a beautiful way of, of honoring, um, a a leading female sculptor. Yes. Um, but it's, it's, it's a little bit more delicate looking, uh, it has a conical structure again out at the base and two very tall parallel beams extend upward from that. Um, and then there's some visual curiosities. There's this oval space about three quarters of the way up that's that catches your eye and then there's this connection like a linear connection near the top that um that brings the the two parallel beams together but it it also gives you this sense of lightness Mm -hmm. 
Then the the fourth one, uh, which I don't know has a name, but it and it isn't really uh, on public view so much. It's at the Deer uh, World headquarters in Moline in the uh, like dining area. I believe it's on an outdoor patio, so it's mainly available to deer employees and guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly, that's a lot of people and a lot of people who see it. That particular sculpture was, I guess, on display inside the foundry. And then, of course, again, when the foundry closed down, it it needed a new home. Mm -hmm. How would you describe Beverly Pepper's work and how has it been described um, in articles? Somewhat like you have said, you know, it's a heavy, it's a heavy material, obviously, but that there's a sense of lightness to it. And it and in, she described, I guess, you know, just for a total lay person would look at this and say, "Well, this is abstract in the sense that it doesn't look like a person, it doesn't look like an animal, it doesn't look like something we're familiar with." And and Beverly said in that, well, she is quoted in in her obituary that she did not have any like preconceived meaning as to what her sculptures were supposed to mean. She she sort of wanted that interpreted by the viewer. So it's kind of what the viewer sees. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing about, I guess, her sculptures is that they are, they almost look kind of like totems, like totems, and they, they sit and they soar up into the sky and uh, look at them that way. Um, the other thing uh, she said, and as you know, reading that obituary, she she talked about her art having a permanence. Uh, defi- she said, I like it to have a permanence defying the violent world of alienation and threat. And I thought, oh, that is not something actually I would see in that myself. But yes. Uh, the idea, because some art, you know, is very ephemeral. It's just meant for the moment. It it, it comes and it goes, but this is, is something permanent. And uh, I think uh, human beings are a lot of times looking for uh, permanence. And, and then it, there is the sense of her, um, the use of her materials. Uh, it's a, that she is one of the first to work with that core 10 steel that develops that patina that resembles rust, which interestingly is exactly what the Deer World headquarters is clad with that mm-hmm. same. So she was using that in sculpture, uh, what the company used for its uh, building, which some might call a piece of sculpture as well. It is sculptural. It's a it's a gorgeous piece of architecture. It's mm-hmm. we're so lucky to have it here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had read too that um that the pieces that she created here, at least the wet the wedge that's uh or the spirit of place is really what it's called, was the first sculpture made of ductile iron. So mm-hmm. she really was very um creative and somewhat ingenious in terms of her use of materials. And because of all those things you mentioned, her sculpture really is beloved. It's all over the world. She lived in Italy for decades and there are many pieces there, but within the U.S. at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City at the Brooklyn Museum, Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. 
many other places. For your for your newspaper articles, you you spoke with Oren Rockhold, who's a retired pattern maker from the John Deere Foundry, and he worked with Beverly Pepper during her residency program here. What did he say about the process of of making these massive sculptures? It was a challenge, and and uh, I believe he was up to it, as were uh, his coworkers. I mean, they had, it was. I'm sure they. I'm not sure what they thought when this first got started. You know, who they are. You know, making machines and equipment, and this woman artist comes in, and they're told that they can spend their time making sculptures. They, I, that would have been a switch, I would say. But, but anyway, he, it was, there was a lot of challenges because, well, one was the size. Now I'm, I am not, these, these uh, sculptures were cast and I, that is a process that always sort of befuddles me. I try to understand it and I kind of fail. But one thing I do know if when they ladle in this mold, they ladle in molten iron well, it was so big that they had to have numerous ladles, not just one, but two <laughs> or three. So, so that, and they also had to, because of its, some of the sizes of the works, they had to make them so that they would come apart uh, so that they could move them. And then they had to go back together, you know, in such a way that they didn't look like they had ever come apart, you know, like they were one massive thing. So, um, yes, there, there were, there were those, uh, and just how to do it. I mean, I, I think they really enjoyed the challenge of it and, uh, took, took pride in it and those, but the, the size and the being able to take it apart are the two things that I remember him talking to me about. Mm-hmm. It's really extraordinary to think about industry taking a break, devoting an entire foundry to making art, and and I just can't see that happening now because of the financial constraints. But how? What a beautiful story, really, that that did happen here in 1981. Yes, I thought that too. I was like, wow, they turned over their whole factory to this, and and exactly, I, I thought, wow, would this happen today? I mean, it really it is sort of when you read it, you think, did this really happen? It seems so amazing, but yes, it did, and yes, you're right, it is. One of the things I suppose that makes those, um, another thing that makes those sculptures so uh, one of a kind. I mean, because because of where they were made and you know, that this might not be a thing that happens today. Mm-hmm. After the numerous pieces were completed, there was an exhibit of, of Pepper's work at the Davenport Art Gallery, which sounded like quite a community celebration, especially for the foundry workers who helped make them. Yes, yes. they uh, Ten of the sculptures that were, you know, smaller, that would fit in a building, ten of them, and they were called the Moline Markers, and they were uh, displayed, yes, and there was a big uh, grand opening of the exhibit, and uh, Lois told me uh, after, later, that, you know, who was her quote that she said to me? She said she would never forget the expression of immense pride on the face of a woman employee, a woman employee, yes, who looked at the work and said, well, we did it. And, and Lois said that makes it all worthwhile, that, that she wanted 
you know, people to be involved in art, not just look at it, but actually see how it could be part of their own lives, not just someone else's life, someone who is a quote artist, but that right. everyone can do that. Yes, that's that's the essence of community art is mm-hmm. empowering people to believe that they too can create it. Mm-hmm. And be that kind of inspiration. And, um, and that was what Lois was about all her life to, to bring art to people. And, the, you know, she said, like, if you've never had ice cream, you don't know that you miss it. But then once you do, boy, you, you want more of that. And that's what she tried to instill in people to make their lives more rich and full and not just all drudge and work and everyday stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, Lois Junklin, again, was the, was the head of the Visiting Artist series who helped mm-hmm. bring Beverly Pepper here. And uh, Beverly Pepper died this year on February 5th. She was 97 years old. When, when I read her obituary, what I was struck by was how bold she was and how much I wish that I'd been able to meet her. Yes, yes, yes. She took on things that she, you know, sometimes, well, what she said, again, in the obituary, is she said, you take opportunities, and then, you know, they might not come again, so you grab them, even if you really maybe aren't qualified to do everything, and then you deal with it, and you, and you make it so. Yes, she was fearless. She was invited, apparently, to partake in a sculpture festival, but needed to know how to weld in order to do so. So she she actually lied about being able to weld. She figured she could learn the process between when she'd made that commitment and when the festival was. So she took on an apprenticeship. And ultimately, she created a piece for the exhibition that established her reputation as a world-class sculptor. Yes. And I'm sure that, you know, that, and that, you know, wins, wins points, wins acceptance too, when you go into a foundry, if you actually, you know, know something about the process and could actually do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I imagine there weren't a lot of women creating these types of works back in the 1960s when she started, um, when she moved really into her sculpture. She'd been a painter originally, but mm-hmm. be- began sculpting and then and then never stopped no yeah her um just a quick mention her daughter is joy graham and i'm not sure if if, um people will recognize that name but she won the pulitzer prize for poetry in 1996 and she she her daughter has a connection to our community joy graham earned her mfa at the writer's workshop in iowa city and taught taught there for many years so so Beverly really had this larger artistic family. Her son is also, a, I think, a photographer and, an, and, our, and a director. So it must have been quite an extraordinary family to grow up in. Yes, yes. Well, Alma Gall, thank you for sharing your insights into the sculptor Beverly Pepper, and it was a pleasure talking with you. Oh, thank you. Same, same here. It, it was one of, yes, an interesting story. Sometimes I say working at the paper is like visiting a museum every day. You learn something new and find out about things you didn't know about and share them with your readers. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. Three of Beverly Pepper's sculptures are available for public viewing in the Quad Cities. Spirit of Place, outside the Tax Slayer Center in Moline, Trapezium, outside the Davenport Public Works Building on 46th Street in Tremont, and Pythias Presence at the Figgy Art Museum, 
which is currently in the second floor orientation space. The Figgy Art Museum reopened this week and there's free admission throughout the month of June. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WBIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cowell.